You are listening to the Salvation Army Disaster Radio, covering all things related to emergency management, disaster services, and the Salvation Army. Welcome to Salvation Army Disaster Radio and the second episode of our ICS Hendecagon. Jeff, I thought for sure you would make us wait a little longer before diving into your mind-bending terminology. Ah, but the mind-bending part is not with my terminology, Christy, but the subject matter within each of our Crash Course podcasts on the incident command functions. So we've had Kettlecast, Videocast, and now ICS Crashcast? ICS Hendecadon Crashcast. <laughs> okay, done. <laughs> Today we're talking about the role that everyone aspires to be until they know truly how intensive a job it is, the incident commander. That's right. The incident commander is the leader of a disaster operation, and as such, they have a lot of responsibilities. Um, The position is generally appointed by the divisional commander, and they're responsible for supervising that entire ICS team. Now, here's just some of the things that are on an incident commander's plate. Everything from developing and implementing a service delivery plan to ensuring there's adequate staff and resources available to run the operation. They need to monitor and approve financial expenditures, protect the physical and emotional well-being of staff, and uh, most importantly, make sure that all aspects of the disaster operation meet the principles and mission of the Salvation Army. Okay, that's a good book definition, but give it to us in layman's terms, or I actually know you have a great sports analogy. I do, believe it or not. I played some sports in school or watched them. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Think of a baseball game, and you have the nine players on the field. Well, off in the dugout is the coach, and he's a lot like your incident commander because he's watching his team performs, and then he's going to make adjustments to help win the game. Uh, those adjustments may be um, changing strategy. Uh, it may be looking at a staff person who's worn out. For example, the pitcher uh, has just thrown six innings, and now he needs to come out of the game. ICs can do the same thing. They can say, you know what? My operations chief's pretty burned out. Let me pull that person out of the game, put somebody fresh in. So the IC really needs to take that kind of coaching perspective uh, and and make sure his team functions well and make appropriate adjustments as the game goes on. Getting that snapshot of what the IC does and who he or she is, you can see that the most important thing a policy group must do during disaster response is to appoint a capable and effective incident commander. Yeah, think about you're uh, like appointing a captain of a ship. Um, you want Captain Kirk, not some you know bungler who's going to you know sink your boat. So tell me about leadership styles. Do all incident commanders have to possess a specific leadership style, or can they can they vary? No, I think there's a wide range of effective incident commanders. But let me give you two extremes. Uh, one extreme is the incident commander who I call king of the incident command post. They're the type of person who's going to sit uh, in their command center. The staff will come to them, and they'll bark out orders, make decisions, and keep the operation moving along. At the other end of the spectrum, you have kind of the wandering chief. Uh, They're the incident commander who wants to see what's going on with his or her own eyes. I need to get situational awareness. Tell me what's happening. Um, And, you know, really both of those styles are okay, but the best incident commanders really fall in the middle. Uh, You definitely want somebody who's going to be on site, who can see what's going on and understand the situation as it's really happening. But you don't want them so out of pocket that when the team needs a decision made, uh, they can't be reached because they're at a cell phone range. 
Well, that brings up a good point. It is important that no matter what an incident commander's leadership style is, he must possess what we call a gambler risk attribute in his leadership skill set, meaning that you must be prepared to move forward or make strategic decisions with sometimes only 80% of the information. If you wait for 100% to make all of your decisions, then you're going to end up behind the eight ball. Absolutely. You've got to be that calculated risk taker. When you think the odds are in your favor, you've got to move the operation forward and make some decisions. So is there some sort of cycle that the incident commander goes through as far as, you know, maybe first off, you're setting objectives. What what does that day look like for him? Yeah, I think um, in addition to being that calculated risk taker, you also have to be a good communicator and a good planner. And it's exactly what you said. The first thing an incident commander's got to do is set objectives. What do I want to accomplish today? Um, and he needs to be able to make those objectives uh, very clear and, and specifically clearly communicate them to his or her staff. Um, it's not enough to say, I want to go out and help people today. Uh, a better objective is we need to help people in this neighborhood, and we're going to do it by putting 10 canteens uh, into that neighborhood serving food. Now, here's the other thing. After he's made that kind of uh, decision to move forward, he also has to be able to come back to it and say, did we accomplish that objective? And if we didn't, why not? There may be a need to take appropriate corrective action. Uh, I think one of the uh, pitfalls of an incident commander is um, you know, not knowing when they've made a mistake and insisting on staying in the course even though it's the wrong track to be on. That's a large burden to carry, and unfortunately it doesn't stop there for our incident commanders. Such as? Well, for one, it is very common for your command staff to become completely overwhelmed. And as they are superior, you have to be aware of their workloads and, if the amount of work gets out of hand, make decisions to somehow free up your staff. That usually means bringing in extra personnel and building out your ICS org chart, but it can also mean assigning an emotional and spiritual care officer to help your staff deal with the work and the stress on site. But no matter what the solution is, it is your job as IC to monitor the condition of your direct reports at all times. That's a great segue, Christy, because I think uh, we've reached my favorite part of the podcast, and I like to call it Don't Do This. Um, and here are some things that we've seen incident commanders do um, that really make us pull our hair out. Um, one of the things that just drives me crazy is what I call the chain of command jumper. That's where an incident commander decides he's not just going to manage his direct subordinates, but everybody in the operation, from the canteen worker to the forklift driver uh, to the person who's mopping the floors. And what that does is disrupts the chain of command. There's nothing worse than the incident commander saying to the forklift driver, move those boxes, and then the forklift driver's direct supervisor, the logistics chief, comes in five minutes later and says, why the heck did you move those? I had a plan for why you were putting those there. You've got to maintain that chain of command. And the IC, again, really only should be managing eight key subordinates. Yeah, stay with directing only your direct subordinates. And with that, I want to give mention to running an effective briefing for your subordinates because this is one of the areas where I pull my hair out. I've sat in many command briefings only to find a ton of information sharing by everyone in the room, but not a lot of focus and direction to the discussion. Each member of your command staff should know exactly what his or her tasks are for any given 24 hours. And during a briefing, he should give an update to those tasks and then be assigned new or ongoing follow-up tasks for the next 24 hours. The briefing is meant to gather specific updates and to walk away with specific tasks in hand. 
And if an IC needs to possess clear communication to his command staff, then even more so he needs to execute consistent, clear communication with the policy group at divisional headquarters. And as you're having these conversations, there's three things that uh, need to be discussed between the incident commander and DHQ. Number one, you need to talk about authority. What authority does the incident commander have? What parameters does he or she need to work within? Number two, you need to discuss direction. What's the vision of divisional headquarters? Where do they want this disaster relief operation to go? For example, is this an operation that's growing or is it declining? Is this an operation that's going to consist mostly of a mobile feeding operation um, or is it going to go into long-term recovery? Those discussions of vision need to take place. And lastly, and perhaps most importantly, the third thing you want to discuss is does the incident commander have the resources necessary to accomplish the mission? Um, it's nice to say I want you to make a huge impact in this in that city that's been destroyed, but I'm only going to give you uh, one staff person and a broken down canteen to do it. Uh, resources don't match the vision statement. And so there's got to be some conversation there to make sure that vision matches the available capabilities. And that's also a conversation about money. Let's be honest. If the incident command or divisional headquarters can't approve um, a significant budget, that's going to limit what you can actually do on the disaster operation. Agreed. Here's some final advice for those aspiring to be incident commanders. In our next nine podcasts, we're going to be discussing the subordinate command staff positions, talking about their responsibilities, their functions, and some of the pitfalls that each of those positions would fall into. And then there's another podcast where you'll learn about relating to your policy group. If you aspire to be an incident commander, we highly recommend that you listen to the following nine podcasts so that you can be in touch with what everyone else is doing on the command side and keep them accountable. Absolutely. And the good news is that wraps up this podcast, so you'll have plenty of time to go ahead and listen to those other podcasts. Incident Command Crashcast number one wasn't too painful, was it? Not the information anyways, and, well, actually, we kept our jokes pretty low-key this time. Actually, I think they were non-existent. (laughs) (laughs) But that's not what these podcasts are about. ICS is serious business. Well, I hope so, because we've got nine more to come, and they're going to be great. Thank you for listening to Disaster Radio. We welcome your questions or comments. Send us an email at disasterradio at uss.salvationarmy.org. And remember, it's easy to support the Salvation Army. To donate time, money, or materials, go to www.salvationarmyusa.org or simply call 1-800-SAL-ARMY.